inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training, equestrian sports, and building a better connection with your horse. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. If you're a frequent listener, you probably already know that I came to the somewhat agonizing decision to breed my sweet little mare, Annie. And over the last few months, I've been sharing with you in my blog and my podcast all the steps we've taken to prepare her for breeding. I also have purchased a breeding to an awesome cow horse stallion that I fell in love with a number of years ago. He stands at the Four Sixes Ranch in Texas, and his registered name is Bet He's a Cat. So he's a lovely little red roan stallion. I think he's super compatible in type and pedigree and also in temperament with Annie. So I'm super excited about this breeding. We, as I said, jumped through a lot of hoops to get her ready to be bred. And right on schedule, she came into an early heat in the second week of March. So Rich and I popped her in the horse trailer, hauled her 60 miles uh, through the River Canyon to Canyon City, Colorado for her first pre-breeding exam with Dr. Marit from Elite Equine Vets. He was, I'll just be straight up honest, he was very impressed with her physical condition and her health and said she presented like a much younger mare. Of course, she's never been bred. Um, she's had a, a, a good, relatively easy life and been very well taken care of. And I knew uh, she was a maiden mare, meaning she's never been bred or, or really probably even ever had a pelvic exam. So uh, she she just was fresh as a daisy, so to speak. She got five gold stars from the doctor. I'll share some of these details with you in my horse report this month. And you can check that out at juliegoodnight.com slash horse report. I've also finished my first horsemanship clinic for the year. It was near Austin, Texas in March. We had a great group of people and horses there. Um, I really enjoyed both <laughs> the people and the horses. And everyone was learning at their own pace. And I would say to an individual, both horses and rider were making tremendous progress. And that made it a really fun weekend for me and for everyone there. So that was a lot of fun. And I want to thank Kim Harrison for organizing that clinic for me. From there, my friend Lucy and I took a little side trip to Satellite Beach. Mostly we went there to visit an old friend that we first met on Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. And she was the one who was responsible for me coming to Martha's Vineyard and doing some horsemanship clinics there. Ultimately, we filmed the TV show there. In fact, one of my favorite episodes of Horsemaster, uh, I'd, I'd say it's in the top three for sure, is an episode we filmed there on Martha's Vineyard on the beach with a horse that had never been in the ocean before. And we called it Wave Runner. You should check it out. 
And it was uh, super fun um, riding on the beach and filming how how long it took. And it took a while before I could get this horse to uh, go uh, let the waves crash all around him. But it was a lot of fun, very memorable. So first met our friend there. She now lives in um, Florida on the intercoastal waterway. It's just a beautiful spot. So while we were there, we were able to soak in the sun and walk on the beach we watched wild dolphins frolic every night at sunset. Plus, we watched a Falcon 9 rocket launch. It was carrying a load for SpaceX, and that uh, happened at Cape Canaveral. So we were staying just south of Cape Canaveral. and Super fun to see the rocket launch. So I'm coming into my busy travel time for the year. I'll be attending Equine Affair in Columbus, Ohio, April 13th to 16th. I've got live presentations on training green horses, riding for life, leadership and confidence. Whew, I'm going to be busy there. Can't wait to return to Equine Affair. I haven't been there since pre-pandemic, so it's been a while. Um, after that, I've got a riding retreat at the Sea Lazy U Ranch. Uh, this is the women's riding and wholeness retreat that I co-teach with Barbara Schulte. Then after that, I have a clinic in Oregon. And then it's time for my summer breaks. So I've got an exciting schedule ahead of me. For details on my upcoming events, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events. And to get the latest training advice and updates from me, sign up for my weekly newsletter at juliegoodnight.com slash news. You can find my online training resources, memberships, and one-on-one -on -one online coaching programs at juliegoodnight.com slash academy. Plus, find innovative grooming tools, tack bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Don't forget, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. Today's topic is about how to develop a training plan to improve the skills for both you and your horse. I hope you'll join us for Horse Goals or Bust. It's a year-long push to help you achieve your dreams, whatever they are with your horses. Whether your goal is modest or incredibly ambitious, it's going to take time to accomplish any worthwhile goal that you set. So we've kind of focused our whole year on this We've broken it all down into small monthly steps, and I've put together some helpful and free resources for you on goal setting, horse fitness, rider fitness, skill assessment for both horse and rider, and you can find everything you need all in one place at juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals. Today, I'll talk about the rider skill assessment, what to consider and how to interpret your score sheet. And I'll share some awesome resources to help you evaluate your horse's skills and develop a training plan to get you where you need to go with your horse. And in my What the Hey Q&A, I'll answer questions from listeners about a horse that offers displays of aggression at feed time, how to correct a horse for kicking at another horse, and how to find the right Western cinch for your horse. Before we get started, I'd like to share a couple of notes I received from some of our Horse Goals or Bust participants. The first one is from Carol. Dear Julie, thank you for your help with goal setting this year. 
great handout. Because of your help and guidance, I am cantering my mare with confidence. My goal is to reach basic Western dressage level one. Good for you, Carol. And I so appreciate the comment. And I love hearing about people's successes. So thanks for sharing that. And I also heard from Ruth in Colorado. I just finished listening to your podcast. I keep a journal of my ride or interaction with my mare. It makes me think about what was going on and how I reacted or solved a problem. I can look back and see my progress too. It's usually brief, but it gives me a moment to reflect and just be. Thank you. I think that's a great idea, Ruth. I keep a journal, uh, not for every ride I take on my horse, although when I first started training horses, I did keep a journal on every horse I trained. I did that for a very long time. Um, now, the uh, sport that I'm really studying and training for is boating. Uh, I do keep a journal every time I boat of things I did, things I wished I'd have done different and all of that. And it is fun to be able to go back and see your progress. It does help you think through your process or your ride and and clarify your thoughts uh, when you journal. So I think that's a great idea. And thanks for sharing. Uh, We really appreciate comments and I think they're useful for everybody. So thank you guys for joining in. So let's talk about horse goals or bust and what it is. So as I said, it's setting a worthwhile goal and then doing all the hard work and making the time commitment and getting organized and getting fit and getting trained um, until you will ultimately achieve that goal that you set. doesn't matter what the goal is, how big or small. Um, if it's a goal of yours, it's important. And that's what we're training for. We have taken the time to break it down into steps and month by month tackle each step. And we're going to put a whole year's worth of commitment behind reaching this goal. Um, and that's going to be a big part of what makes it attainable. Now, this month, what we're working on is a skill assessment for both you and your horse. And again, I've put together a worksheet for you. In fact, the equestrian skill assessment worksheet is quite a hefty document. It's about 10 pages long and it allows you, breaks down a lot of different areas of your horsemanship and allows you to score yourself one through five so that you can come up with a score that helps you see where you fit into the overall scheme of things from a beginner rider to the you know, pro level expert. Also, it gives you an idea of where your weaknesses are and where you need to focus your training plan for yourself. So I wanted to review that uh, with you, and then we're going to focus more on the horse skill assessment, and I want to share some new tools with you and some existing tools that I've already given you uh, for helping you assess your horse's skill level and then come up with a training plan that we'll enact over the next six months uh, to help you reach your goal. And remember, you can find all these free resources at juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals, including the equestrian skill assessment, which I want to talk to you about now. This is a fun document to fill out. It's not going to be difficult. 
And it's going to be very illuminating in terms of your strengths and weaknesses and where you need to focus your training on as you work to develop your personal equestrian skills. The very first question is the most irritating question I ask my students. They always get irritated when I make them do this math problem. But I want you to just sit down with a piece of paper and pen and think about when you started riding and go through year by year since you started riding. Skip over the years where you didn't really ride and just estimate how many days you rode butt in the saddle for 30 minutes or more uh, each year. And then I want you to just tally that lifetime experience up. It's, you know, you're going to get a number uh, somewhere between zero if you've never ridden a horse and over a thousand if you're an expert. At the same time, you add up and go through this exercise. I want you to think about actually how many different horses you've ridden. Maybe you had one horse in you, when you were a kid. Maybe you had another one when you were a teenager and then another one when you were an adult. So that would be three. Maybe you've ridden more than that um, through through the years. So I want you to tally up the number of horses you've ridden in your lifetime as well. And it's very illuminating for me as your coach. I can look at these figures and, and really, um, because of my lifetime of experience teaching riders and being an equestrian myself, um, I, I know where it puts you if I can quantify the actual amount of experience that you've had. So there's some um, score ranges for you in the worksheet that'll help you try to get an understanding of whether you're a beginner, intermediate, advanced rider, or riding at a professional level. Um, and the same thing with horses. The number of different horses you've ridden obviously has to do with your experience level. In other words, let's say when you add up all the number of days you've ridden, it tallied 98. And um, But when you tallied up the number of horses over those 98 rides, it was two. Now, I could come along and be a different rider that had the exact number of days, 98. But during that 98 days, I've actually ridden six different horses. I probably learned more because every horse is different and you learn just slightly different skill set on every horse that you ride. So particularly in the beginning, easy way to think about this is if you're riding a horse that has a lot of go, you're going to get really good at stopping and slowing down horses. If you're riding a horse that has a lot of woe and is very lazy and doesn't like to move, you're going to really get good at motivating a horse to move forward, uh, giving him a free rein, all the things that skills that uh, come in handy when you're riding a horse with um, a lot of woe. So, that's why the number of horses that you've ridden during that lifetime of experience is is reflective of um, how, how many skills you may have developed. So next on the equestrian skill assessment, we go into your actual equitation. So we're mainly focusing on riding skills with this worksheet and uh, we will get a little bit into training skills, uh, or the training of your horse. Sometimes it's a little difficult to separate the training of the horse 
from the training of the rider. Uh, but but where our focus on this uh, score sheet right now is just on equitation skills, meaning the skills of the rider. So the first area that I like to look at is your balance in the saddle. And basically, just so you know, as I created this assessment, I used what I use every day in the arena. I mean, I I teach um, on a one-time basis generally. So generally, all the lessons I teach are brand new horses and riders to me. I might have them for a couple of days for the weekend in a clinic. So I'm used to evaluating the riders that are in front of me in short order to be able to determine where they fit on the on the whole scale of things and what the number one priorities are in improving them right now at this moment. So I go through these assessments in my head every day in the arena, and I can do it pretty fast because of my experience with not just thousands of riders, but probably, you know, above the 10,000 range of riders I've actually coached in my lifetime. So the, the assessment happens really fast in my head. So as I created this worksheet, what I did was create all the things that I'm going through rapid fire fast in my observations when I am starting out a horsemanship clinic and trying to evaluate the horse and rider in front of me. So balance in the saddle, number one skill, obviously required of riders is good balance. Interestingly, many of us listening here today, many of us attending the clinics and expos, many of us seriously into horse sports right now are a little bit older and uh, maybe in the retired range. And um, that means our balance isn't as good as it used to be. Your, your balancing ability declines with age unless you continually work on your balance. And so riding is a challenging balanced sport. So the very first area I like to assess is somebody's balance in the saddle. So I look at the ear, shoulder, hip, and heel alignment. I want to see a nice alignment in the skeletal system. Uh, I would like that alignment to be vertical. I'm looking for relaxed muscles and soft joints. Anytime you tense a muscle, it causes you to lock a joint. And anytime you lock a joint, it leads to bouncing on the horse. And finally, in the balance category, I'm looking for a deep seat in the rider, a secure seat. In other words, the rider sitting in the middle of the saddle, tailbone tucked well underneath, lower back is rounded, and the rider is anchored through her heels in such a way that it's just pulling her heavier into the saddle. So that's what we refer to as a deep and secure seat. And that is a part of a balance in the saddle. So what I've asked you to do in the score sheet is circle your score on a scale from zero to five, with zero being the worst and five being the best. So you going to score each one of these categories, and then you tally your score for that category. So you might get a, you know, 12 out of 15 possible points um, or more if you're a really good rider. So next thing I want to look at is riding position. And this only slightly varies from balance in the saddle because (laughs) position has everything to do with balance. And you cannot be balanced in the saddle without being at least partly in in good position. However, 
we all have our weaknesses and tendencies in our posture that are going to infiltrate our riding position and what what we might consider good riding position. So here's what I want to look at there. First of all, uh, the next thing I'm looking beyond ear, shoulder, hip, and heel alignment is proper hand position. And what that means, it's easy to spot right away, uh, something that won't take me a second to gauge. I'm looking for a straight line from the rider's elbow to the corner of the horse's mouth, regardless of what the reins are doing, regardless of how much contact is in the reins. Um, I want to see a straight line from the rider's elbow to the corner of the horse's mouth. Generally, the hands are too high. Occasionally, riders ride with their hands too low. Those are going to be more intermediate or advanced intermediate riders. Hands too high are either going to be beginner riders or scared riders. So sometimes it's just a posture thing. People are just sort of uh, riding in a posture that's comfortable for them. Uh, instead of allowing their arms and shoulders to relax and reach for the horse's mouth. So I'm looking under riding position. I want you to score your hand position. I want you to score your ear, shoulder, hip, and heel alignment. And are your legs hanging down straight underneath you, weighted in your heels? And what your upper body posture looks like? Are you rounding your shoulders? Are you collapsing? Are you bracing in your rib cage? Are you craning your neck, stiffening your neck, tightening your jaw? These are all little, little problems in your riding position. And the more you can find them, the more you can refine your riding. So you're going to score a possible 20 points there. So again, score zero from five um, in those different areas. Next thing we're going to look at in your rider assessment, skill assessment, has to do with your communication and control from the saddle. First thing I want to look at is cueing. Are your cues clear, consistent, systematically sequenced? And do you reinforce your cues when the horse does not respond? So are you effective in your cueing? And then the second thing I want to look at is are you effectively using your aids? In other words, the primary aids of the rider are the seat, legs, hands, and voice. And I want to know, does that rider have a full understanding of how to use her aids? And is she using them properly? Third thing we're going to look at under communication and control is how responsive is your horse and how obedient is your horse to the aids of the rider? In other words, do you have control over direction and speed? Does the horse respond to you when you cue him the first time or does it take multiple times? And are you having any obedience problems with your horse? Is he dragging you to the gate or cutting the corners or refusing to cross a mud puddle or whatever? So are you really fully in control of the horse at all times or is the horse testing you and uh, pushing your buttons a little bit? So, and that, that is, in fact, the final thing we look at at communication and control is, is the rider always in control of direction and speed? So you'll be able to rate yourself on that with five being, yes, absolutely, 100% of the time, I am in control of direction and speed of my horse. The next section we're going to evaluate in your uh, rider assessment is 
trotting skills. Well, I didn't put anything about walking in here. You know, walk is the gait that has no suspension. It's the slowest gait. And I I think pretty much anybody can stay on the horse at a walk. That's why we can put people up on horses and take them out on a trail ride who have never, ever, ever been on a horse before. So, but once you start trotting, things are different. And and by the way, as I mentioned in my blog this month, if you ride strictly gated horses, that's great. I understand how much fun they are to ride. But I would just want you to think about the fact that there are some important riding skills that you are not developing in your riding, like trotting skills. These are some of the most challenging skills in riding, and they're going to improve your balance, your strength, um, your ability to move with the horse, the, your, the security of your seat. So you may want to just think about if all you ride is gated horses, you may want to consider taking a lesson every now and then on a naturally gated horse and, and de- help yourself develop some of those skills uh, that you might not be challenging on the gated horse. So first, under trotting skills, we take a look at your ability to post the trot in rhythm with the horse and effortlessly. Posting trot is an interesting skill. You can learn how to do it partly right. And if you have been posting the trot by doing things slightly wrong, in other words, maybe you're moving in rhythm with the horse, but you're pushing up off the stirrup instead of off your thigh, then you have to actually put more effort into it and you go up a little bit higher than you should. And it's easy to lose the rhythm. So, you know, ultimately we work a lot in horsemanship clinics, even in very advanced riders on refining their posting skills. Same thing with the sitting trot. But I'm looking for in posting trot is that rider in rhythm with the horse and is the rhythm coming from the horse? Uh, in other words, the horse generates your posting rhythm, not you. And um, so I'm looking for that rhythm and that the rider is putting minimal effort into posting. Another thing I want to look at is the rider's ability to recognize if they're posting on the correct diagonal or not. And at the same time, it's pretty easy for me to observe if they are getting on the correct diagonal by looking down or because they can feel the correct diagonal, which is a more advanced skill. It's not a difficult skill. It's just one people don't often take the time to learn. So if I recognize a rider that knows their trotting diagonals, that tells me one thing about their ability level compared to a rider who can post a trot but doesn't have any understanding of posting diagonals. And then if I see that rider has the ability to post on the correct diagonal without looking down, that puts them up uh, several more notches in um, what I would observe as their riding ability level. So the other thing we want to look at in trotting skills is the ability to sit the trot without bouncing. Now, this is where the gated horse comment comes into play because as I well know, not all horses are created equally when it comes to the sitting trot. People that have big dynamically moving horses or rough gated horses 
are going to have a lot of trouble sitting the trot. It's hard. It doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means it's difficult. But here's the thing I always let my students know. I can see the difference. If you're riding a smooth-gated horse, I can tell in your posting and sitting trot that the horse is smooth-gated. And I can just see with my eyeballs in front of me that the horse is smooth-gated or rough-gated. So if you do ride big horses with dynamic, big-moving trots with lots of suspension, you're going to develop a much higher level of riding skill when you learn to post and sit the trot of those horses. It's just a fact of nature. So a force of nature, a force of physics, if you will. So that's the trotting skills section. And then next we have the canter control section. And here I'm asking, do you have clean and smooth canter departures? Can you sit the canter smoothly and maintain a steady speed? Can you canter in circles and turns, uh, maintaining control in a, in a smooth direction? Do you have the ability for collection and extension at the canter? And uh, finally, where are you at in lead changes? Can you do simple lead changes? Can you do flying lead changes or no lead changes at all? So that's the canter section. Next, we take a look at some of the higher level skills of equitation, like collection and bending and executing advanced maneuvers. I'm not going to go through all of those with you. You can, again, go to juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals and click on the equestrian skill assessment, print it out, and you can actually, uh, you'll want to go read my blog on the subject too because it talks through all the different sections of this skill assessment. So I broke down some of the skills involved in collection and bending, then there's another category of executing more advanced maneuvers like your lateral movements and things like that. And then I have a couple of other really important areas for you to score yourself. And first of all is in what we're going to call your book smarts. How much actual knowledge of horsemanship theory do you have? How much knowledge do you have of the gear, of the equipment, of the sport, the discipline that you've chosen to ride in? How much knowledge of the area, if you're going on a camping trip, do you actually have? This stuff doesn't come to you in a riding lesson. This is stuff that, and by the way, nobody's going to spoon feed the information to you either. This is information that you have to go in search of, and you have to devote time to research and study. So I have some suggestions for you in my blog about some of the things that you might want to consider. And on your skill assessment worksheet, here are the categories of knowledge I've broken down. Uh, first of all, your knowledge of classical horsemanship. And um, that is what we know of today as dressage. This is the basis of all that we know in terms of riding and communicating with and controlling horses. And it's, um, in my mind, uh, the basis of, of all of our knowledge of all disciplines. So it's really great information to study. Also, another area that's important is horse behavior. How much reading and studying and observing and scientific research studies have you read? Stories about horses and, and anecdotal descriptions aren't very useful, but research into behavior 
that's useful. So I have a lot of information that I've written over the years on horse behavior, and there are, there are many, many resources out there, but it's worth spending some time on. Terminology. You know, our listener mentioned that she always liked to keep a journal when she rides or any interaction that she has with her horse. Well, if you would add to that, anytime you hear a term that you're not sure you could define, and and by the way, don't always expect your riding instructor to define it either, because there's a lot of terminology we use in horse sports that many people can't define. So I think it's really important to, when I hear a word I've never heard before, or a word I'm not sure if I know the meaning of it, I find it pretty interesting to look it up. It's one reason why we sell the equine dictionary. I use it personally myself a lot. Anytime somebody throws a term out there that either I've never heard it before or I just am not real sure I know what it means, I like to see if I could state out loud what what something means, not just have a vague idea inside my head. So that's when the equine dictionary comes in. You can find that on my website at shop.juliegoodnight.com. So how's your area of knowledge and terminology, all your equipment and tack? You know the parts of it. You know uh, what collection means. You know what lateral movements mean. You know what diagonal versus lateral aids are. Uh, There's a lot of theory out there that is yours for the taking, um, but nobody's going to hand it to you. Another area that you want to consider in terms of building knowledge is the rule book of the discipline that you ride in. Now, whether you compete or not, uh, if you compete, it's really important that you have studied the rule book. You will learn a lot just from studying the rule book. But even if you don't compete, I talk to people almost every day who are taking dressage lessons and studying the discipline of dressage just simply to become a better rider. They never have any intention at all of competing in dressage. I still think it's an excellent resource for you to get the rule book of whatever type of dressage you were thinking about showing in, Western dressage or USEF or whatever, and read it because the rule books explain the purpose, the tack, what the rider apparel should be, the procedures for each class, what you're judged on. So there is so much information there, again, that's yours for the taking. So that's the section on book smarts and how important it is if you end up scoring yourself low in that category, but high in the riding skills, I'd say uh, the heck with taking more riding lessons, go spend some time studying and bring that knowledge of riding theory up to your skill level. So that's the idea here. And then the next category in the rider assessment is your confidence level. Now, look, we all know people, or maybe we've had the experience ourselves, where you might be an excellent rider, but if you lose all your confidence you essentially become paralyzed with fear and you no longer are a good rider. But guess what? Yes, you are. You still are a good rider. You just need to get a handle on your confidence. So that's, again, not a situation where I want you to spend more money on riding lessons. I want you to devote some time and energy to the introspection and to uh, taking some confidence courses. I have 
an online short course on building confidence. But you can do the work. It's not easy, but uh, anyone can improve their confidence if they do the work of evaluating themselves and kind of working on it, sussing out the problems. So in the confidence level, I've asked you to score yourself from zero to five, with five being the best. In these areas, I am confident in all matters of handling my horse from the ground. I am confident riding a familiar horse at the walk, trot, and canter. I am confident riding unfamiliar horses at walk, trot, and canter. I am confident in both my horse and my own skills when I am in new situations. And I am confident I have the riding and handling skills I need to accomplish my goal. So, of course, you know, everybody's going to be different here and and you will answer these according to your own personal experience and confidence and how that reflects upon your goals. And then our final section is actually about what resources you have available to you, including your own personal energy level your personal activity level, what kind of physical limitations you have, what kind of attitude do you bring to the table, what kind of motivation level do you bring to the table. Those can be deficits or they can be really valuable assets depending on the personality traits you happen to possess. So uh, I don't want you to disregard those um, personal inherent traits that may be invaluable resources for you in this endeavor. Uh, I want you to take a look at the time commitment you can make. And this is tough, I know, for many people. We know what we'd like to do. We'd like to spend every day, all day at the barn, doing nothing but riding and training for this. Uh, But the reality is you have a life, you have a job, you have kids, you have whatever that takes away from your time commitment. So it's not a good plan or a realistic plan to include time you don't have in your life. So I want you to take a hard look at how much of the time resource is available to you before you set about making a big plan. The next thing we need to look at is what kind of training facilities do you have access to? Do you have the equipment you need, the horses you need, the arenas, the tack? You know, we like to train our horses on cattle, Our horses are bred to work cattle. Those are the kinds of competitions we like to do, but we don't own cattle. So we have to create those experiences for our horses. We either have to send them to a trainer to work them on cattle every day, or we have to take them ourselves to a a trainer or a place where we can work cattle. So that's important for you to consider um, the actual physical resources that are available to you. And then whether or not you have access to professional horse trainers and riding instructors, whether or not you can transport your horse, do you have a truck and trailer, are the skills there for the driver, for the horse, everything that you can easily haul your horse somewhere for a lesson or a clinic. And then finally, we take a look at money and uh, you'll get a kick out of this one. So uh, the last one is money is not an obstacle for me. So if money is not an obstacle for you, you get to score a five and congratulations for the rest of us. We're probably going to be scoring substantially south of there. Uh, But these are things that you need to consider before putting 
together your plan. Now, once you have scored yourself on all these areas, then we start in on developing your plan. And and I have you go through and interpret the results and think about all of those aspects and how it's going to relate to your training plan. And then, you know, basically only you can create your training plan. Um, I just give you the guidance and the steps along the way and help you organize your thoughts and give you a few suggestions for what your training plan might include. And then finally, on this worksheet is a place for you to actually chart out the clinics, the lessons, the study sessions you're going to have over the coming six months. And I I don't know about you, but when I get things down on paper on a calendar, I'm way more likely to get them done, especially if I set reminders and I say, okay, if I'm going to go to that clinic on May 5th, well, I better get started on this now because I only have so many weeks and I got to do this, this, and this, and this before that. So I think charting out all the actual training things you're going to do uh, will will help you achieve more. So now I want to talk to you about the same subject, but for your horse. So now what we're talking about is horse training assessment. Now, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I've already done a ton of stuff on this subject. If you are a new listener, what you may not know is that I have years and years and years of archives, podcasts and blogs, where horse training is often the subject. But more recently, there are some important uh, resources that I want to go through with you now. Uh, This is going to appear in the show notes for this episode. So don't try to make notes while you're driving. If you're listening to this while you're driving, you can find it in the show notes. Or you can go to juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals. But I want you to go back in time just a little bit and review some of the materials that I've already produced for you. First of all, in April of 2022, so that was almost a year ago, I did a podcast called Finding the Holes in Your Horse's Training. And it was about how to evaluate your horse's training. We talked about things like, does your horse stand quietly while tied? Does your horse ever challenge your authority? Do you ever have trouble controlling direction or speed? How often does your horse spook or shy? What would you like to change about your horse? So we talked a lot about finding the holes in your horse's training, evaluating the training level of a horse. Let's say you just got a brand new horse. Maybe you adopted him. Maybe you bought him online, whatever, but you have no history on this horse. He was represented as a trained horse that's done such and such but you really don't know the details of his training. So that's what this podcast was about. If you have not listened to it before, I'd suggest going back and giving it a listen and making some notes about where you think your horse currently is in his training level. And then also I created an easy 10 question quiz 
for every rider to take that assesses your horse's current skill level. It's available on my Academy website. You'll find the link in this episode's show notes. And this easy 10-question quiz is a simple way to put things into perspective with a score that will let you know your baseline of training. And it's based on a 100% score. So 100% would be a perfectly trained high-level horse. And so it, it, it lets you put a score number to your horse's training level that just puts it in perspective for yourself and everybody. So if you already took the quiz, uh, that was, again, almost a year ago, I'd like you to take it again and see where your horse is now. This could be really cool. And you should celebrate your wins and share what you've learned with the Horse Goals or Bust Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash horse goals or bust. It'd be great to hear if you've made progress with your horse over the last year. There are more resources in the show notes for you as well. In November of 2022, so just four or five months ago, I did another podcast on finding the right horse trainer, how to know if you need a horse trainer, how to find a horse trainer, what to expect after 30, 60, 90 days of professional training, I talked about thinking about whether or not your horse is broke or broken. And by that, I mean, is he so docile that he seems really well-trained or is it because he's displaying some painful type behavior? So it's important to always, of course, consider, we always consider any kind of behavioral problem with a horse as a pain-induced problem until that's ruled out. So uh, there's a discussion about that. Also, uh, we talked about whether or not your horse needs an education or already knows too much. And by that, I mean the horse that uh, maybe you have a horse that when someone else rides it, it does just fine. But when you ride it, it pushes your buttons. It challenges your authority. It won't do anything for you. So that might be a horse that knows too much about you. And, you know, we can't unknow that. So that's a that's an indicator that there's something in the rider that needs to change. And again, uh, there's a lot of information there about uh, just different ways you might think about your horse's training level in order to put it all into perspective. And finally, I've got one more important tool for you to utilize in order to get a really good evaluation of where your horse is in his training at this point in time. And I would like you to complete what's called the eBark survey. And that is spelled E-B-A-R-Q. And it stands for Equine Behavioral Assessment and Research Questionnaire. And you can find it at the website e dash B-A-R-Q dot com. And the eBark is a scientifically formulated, peer-reviewed citizen science project from the University of Sydney. That's in Australia. And it was created by some of the world's most prominent equine behaviorists. And it's a completely free tool for you. And the reason why we call it a citizen science project is because these behaviorists, these equine behaviorists 
are researching many, many aspects about equine behavior, but they need data and they need it from horse owners like me and you. And so they are collecting, they created this super cool tool that's totally free. You could, all you do is you, you create an account and then you fill out the survey on as many horses as you have or want to fill it out on. And then you have a dashboard and it stores all your information and it scores your horse against all the other horses, thousands of horses that have completed this survey. And then it tells you how your horse ranks in all these different categories. So it enables horse owners from all over the world to take part in the survey. And by the way, it's the only validated behavior assessment tool available online for horses. It's totally objective. That's another great thing about it. It does not require you to interpret your horse's behavior. It just asks you simple questions that you can answer. And the data collected through this survey is completely de-identified when it's scientifically compiled. In other words, your data is not associated with you or anything personal, your horse's name or anything like that. It's all de-identified. And the data is compiled scientifically in order to determine what is quote unquote normal behavior. And most importantly, to understand how the training and management of our horses impacts their behavior. So it's an extensive survey. It's going to take you 20, 30 minutes to complete it, but it's fun to do. So just go to ebark.com and complete the survey on your horse. Now, after you complete the survey, you can join a group and I would like you to join my group. And so you'll see a little thing that says join a group or look for a group. And my group is called Goodnight Training. And so if you complete the survey on your horse and you connect it to my group, then I get to start collecting data. Again, it's de-identified data, so I won't know that your name or your horse's name or anything like that. I'll just know I have this horse scored here and there seem to be having low scores in these certain areas. So I know that's the kind of information I need to be addressing in my blog and my podcast and all of that. So this data can be used on so many different levels, including what kind of information I produce for you. So I hope you will take the eBark survey and make some comments on my Facebook page. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Uh, once you complete the survey, by the way, you get, you get your results right away, uh, scoring your horse and comparing it to thousands of other horses. You'll also have a personal dashboard and you can go back and review your results on each of your horses. And just completing the survey will cause you to think through your relationship with your horse and gain a much clearer understanding of your horse, the interactions and transactions you have with your horse, the areas where you yourself may be lacking in skills. So look for the links in the show notes. And once you have completed both the horse and rider skill assessments, you can then put that knowledge to work in developing your own personalized training plan. The equestrian skill assessment that I talked about a little while ago, uh, that worksheet will help you identify where you need to focus your personal training. And when you are creating your horse's training plan, here's some of the things that you might want to consider. 
ground manners? Do you need any work there? Sometimes you might have a horse that really performs well in his chosen discipline. Let's say he's a really good jumper, um, but he's really a problem on the ground or trailer loading or something like that. So uh, you could even have that be an area of focus on a well-trained horse. He's, he's just got a hole in his training. Uh, look at trailering skills. Basic under saddle training. And by that, I mean just basic stop, start, and steer, maintaining steady speed, obedience to the aids. Does he need improvement in basic training? Or are you considering more finish level training, refinement in this training, advanced maneuvers, collection, lead changes, spins, rollbacks, lateral movements, all that kind of stuff? What kind of discipline specific skills are you going to need? Are you going to an endurance race? Are you going on a five-day camping trip in the mountains? Do you need to know how to pack a pack? Is he used to having saddlebags? Almost any endeavor you do is going to have specific skill sets that go along with it. So I want you to take a look at that too. I want you to consider how much experience does your horse have performing away from home? And do you need to get practice in that area? Do you need to just haul your horse down to the county fairgrounds so you're riding in a strange arena for practice? Do you need to go on some practice trail rides into new terrain um, so your horse gets used to being in new situations? What kind of specific skills are you going to need to accomplish your goals? And how long is that training going to take? This should definitely be a part of your plan, too. It's a reason why we're addressing fitness and training early on in this Horse Goals or Bus campaign, because they take the longest to make progress in. And so we started you on your fitness plan last month. Now you need to get started on your rider skills and horse skills. And are you going to need professional help along the way? The answer is probably yes. (laughs) Unless you are fortunate to have a lot of real knowledgeable people around you, you may need to consider getting some form of professional help, a riding instructor, a horse trainer, or or go to some specialized clinics. And um, of course, always when we are thinking about the horse's training, we need to make sure that the skill level of the rider is being addressed as well. So that's what I have to talk to you about skill assessment in both horse and rider. I can't do all the work for you. I can just guide your thoughts. Uh, please check out the show notes. Go to juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals and print out some of these tools I've made for you. And they will definitely help you uh, get, get your thoughts in order and come up with a great plan. Next month, we're going to talk about dressing and grooming for success. And by that, I mean dressing yourself and grooming your horse. You know, by the time you are ready to take your horse somewhere, whether it's a show or a trail ride or a clinic or whatever your goal is, I think you want your horse to look really awesome. I know I do. I want my horse to look healthy and shiny and well cared for. and that takes time to develop as well. So next month, we're going to really drill down on the things that you should be doing. I'll share some professional tips for you to make sure that you are comfortable and prepared to meet your goals. If you're just getting started on horse goals or bust, go to juliegoodnight.com slash horse goals to get all the information you need 
blog posts and my previous podcast episodes and download all the worksheets I put together to help you set you and your horse up for success. Go ahead and jump on board for horse goals or bust. Make the most out of this year, accomplish your goals and live your best horse life. And now it's time for my favorite segment. What the hey? Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Some of these questions are edited slightly for clarity or length. The first question is from Christy. Do you have any advice for how to deal with my horse's anger issues? (laughs) Sorry for laughing. It is especially bad at feeding time, even though they are in a stall with a walkout and there is no threat except the person with the feed. I do not know what to do. Well, Christy, over the overall problems to have the horse, this is not a bad one because it's an easy fix. And you're going to learn a lot by just understanding how this happened. So first of all, it's a common occurrence and I have written a lot about it on my website. So if you go to my Academy website and just write up in the search bar, aggressive at feeding time, you'll come up with a number of articles that address this. So I want you to think about how it happened to begin with. When you feed horses, horses are not designed to eat two or three meals a day. They're designed to eat small amounts all the time. So a horse never really stops and starts eating. He never finishes a meal. He nibbles a little bit. He grazes. He walks. He grazes. He walks. He grazes. He lays down. He gets up. He grazes some more. He can graze in a natural setting. He might graze as much as 20 hours a day, uh, grazing and walking, grazing and walking. Their digestive systems are designed to be full And how they process their feed depends on a full digestive system. This is also an important reason why so many domestic horses have ulcers, because when their stomach gets empty and their digestive system gets big gaps in it, they are are prone to ulcers and other problems. So when horses are fed lump sump meals and they go a long time in between without food, it becomes very stressful for the horse. They start kind of getting a bellyache. They start wondering when they're going to eat again. And they, of course, know the routine. And so as feeding time is approaching, let's say every afternoon at four o'clock, they get fed. Well, your horse knows when it's 345. He knows when the feeder arrives at the barn. He, He is so focused on that event because he's so stressed out about it that he's anticipating all this and that's adding to his stress. So one day he was feeling all this stress and he was just kind of acting out in his stall. And right after he put his ears back and barred his teeth, just in an anxious and angry gesture, the feeder walked by and threw the feed in. And your horse associated that angry gesture with getting the food delivered to his feet. And he does not understand that the feeder was on a schedule and was going to feed him when he walked by no matter what. 
He doesn't understand that his gesture had no relationship whatsoever to the food arriving at his feet. He just knows he made a gesture and then the food came in. So just to be on the safe side, the next time mealtime came around, he made the gesture again. And so that's how horses learn. And horses are always learning whether we want them to learn or not. And this is a really good example of an unintended association. And a horse associated his aggressive gestures with getting the food. So the the solution is really super simple. Nobody has to go in the pen with this horse. You might need a flag to uh, get the horse's attention. But all you need to do is not feed the horse while he is displaying aggressive gestures. Just wait. And when he stops and looks at you like, well, are you going to feed me? And he puts his ears up and gives you a look like, what are you doing? Then you throw him the food. So whatever the horse is doing at the moment the food arrived is what you just trained him to do, basically. So you just wait it out. If the horse was kind of lunging at the fence or really, you know, kicking out or something like that, I might from outside the pen, I might bring a training flag and I'll just pick that flag up and shake it at him and kind of shush him to the back of the stall or shush him to the back of the pen. And then as soon as you do that, the next thing that's going to happen is the horse is going to turn and look at you with his ears up because he wants to know what's going to happen next. And as soon as he looks at you and puts his ears forward, throw him the food and walk away. So if you do that for a few days, you'll totally eliminate that aggressive behavior. It's that simple. But it's really important for you to understand what caused the horse to start acting that way to begin with, because it will inform you in many other areas of your um, horse training as well. So our next question is from Megan. And no, this is not the Megan who produces the podcast and does all my marketing for me, but this is a brand new Megan. And she says, hello. I recently started listening to your podcast and I love the horse goals or bust episodes. I have had an event just yesterday that sparked some concern with a horse I have owned since July of 2022. So we're going to call that, you know, what, eight months ago. He's been super easy to get along with and we really haven't had any problems until this morning. We were about halfway through a pretty long cattle drive riding behind the herd. And when a friend rode up beside me, my horse kicked at her horse, then bucked a couple of times. I got him under control quickly and no one was injured. I took him into some small controlled circles to get his focus back and directed him back to the front of the herd where he is more relaxed. His behavior really caught me off guard. He's never shown any aggression toward our horses at home or riding with horses he doesn't live with, but he does seem to be a bit more reactive when we are behind cattle. I'd love to hear your opinion on his new undesirable behavior and if I could have done anything differently in the moment of correction. Thank you so much for your time and for the wealth of knowledge you have to share. Well, you are welcome, Megan, and thank you for becoming a listener to my podcast. And I'm going to say, Megan, I think you handled that situation just fine. The only thing I would add to it is this. It is a fundamental law, not just a rule, but a fundamental law that must be trained into horses that when they are being ridden or handled from the ground by a human, 
They are not allowed to interact or display any signs of horse behavior interactions with another horse. And this is exactly the reason why. Now, why did your horse do it out of the blue when he's never acted like this before? I think you also hit the nail on the head there. He was feeling a lot of stress. Cow horses can get very anxious about working cattle. They feel like they're being cheated and beaten all the time by the cattle. So they're like, ah, ah, I got to get that cow. Ah, I got to get that cow. And so I think your horse was probably on edge. Also, I don't know how long you'd been in the saddle, but you said it was a pretty long cattle drive. So he might have been getting a little back sore as well, a little joint soreness somewhere that is not a big enough problem that you would know about it, but it was making him maybe a little cranky. Um, So you got the stress of, of working cattle. You got the long cattle drives who may have been physically stressing him. And then you got a strange horse coming up behind him. I think it was just kind of the perfect storm to let that behavior come out. And I think that probably what you did hopefully was enough to make him understand that was unacceptable behavior. What I might have added is is this. I, I tell people this is such a fundamental rule and it has to do with the safety of people and the safety of horses around you. So I want to bring out the harshest punishment in a situation like this. So your voice should be extremely harsh to the horse in that moment. I just kick him immediately up into a hard, hard, hard trot or canter. And as I made those circles, I would make it be very unpleasant for the horse. All of that has to happen immediately so that he associates his kicking with the punishment, with the uh, harsh treatment from you, with having to work really hard in an unpleasant way. Um, And then finally, I just think he is now uh, what I like to say when you've had a problem such as this with a horse, I like to say they are guilty until proven innocent. So for some time going forward, I want you to be hyper aware when strange horses are approaching you, if you have even the slightest inclination that your horse is thinking aggressively, that he is thinking about that other horse approaching him or thinking about reacting and nip it in the bud before he has a chance to do something. I don't think you're going to have a problem. And I think you did the right thing, uh, but stay on top of it and and really get up in his face about it. Um, because it is not hard to teach horses, and this is a very important and fundamental safety rule. Um, And I'll just throw this one out there, because to be honest, when I talk about this in public, I normally do share with people the fact that I saw my really good friend get killed in this situation um, by a horse that was uh, picking on another horse out of the blue, and she happened to be in the way of it. So it's it's not anything to be taken lightly, and it's it's quite easy to train horses to be safe around other horses. So that uh, responsibility is yours. And our final question for today is from Lucy, and she says, "Dear Julie, I have finally, after many years of consideration, purchased one of your beautiful circle wise saddles." the Wind River in Walnut. That's my number one top-selling saddle, by the way. 
And Lucy says, being a dressage rider, I don't know how to measure my horses for a Western cinch. Could you please take me through how to do it? Are some cinches better than others? I am in the deepest, darkest part of the Chirant region of France. I really look forward to hearing from you, and I hope to see you next time in Ireland. Warm regards, Lucy. Oh, thank you so much for the question, Lucy. I'm thrilled to hear you got one of my saddles. I know you're going to love it, especially being a dressage rider. You're going to love the close contact. You're going to love the balanced ride that it sets you up for. As a human, you're going to love the comfort of it. And it is a beautiful saddle. As I said, it's a, that saddle and that color is my number one selling saddle. So good job. And I hope to see you in Ireland. I'm super looking forward to that. And it would be very fun to meet you there. Uh, So that'll be in the fall of this year. And then uh, finally, to your question about the Western cinch. Now, there's nothing standardized about the size of your cinch because, you know, obviously the size of your horse is going to have an impact on it but also the type of saddle, Western saddle that you have, and specifically whether or not your saddle has drop-down rigging or not. And the Wind River, all of my saddles do have drop-down in-skirt rigging. And so that means the D-ring that the Latigo uh, fastens around to attach your cinch on the near side, that rigging is hanging actually a little bit lower than it might in a different type of saddle. Um, So even the same horse could take a different size cinch just because the saddle was rigged a little bit differently. And generally, when you have that drop-down type of rigging, the cinch is going to need to be a little bit smaller. Now, here's your only concern. You want to make sure that the D-rings of the cinch, so the, the big oval rings on each end of your cinch come well above the elbow of the horse. So if you know where your horse's elbow is, it's at the very top of his front leg. And the girth area of the horse, why we call it uh, the piece of tack a girth, is because it goes over the girth area of the horse or the heart girth of the horse. And the girth area of the horse is that sort of convex or indented place right behind the elbow of the horse. And it's kind of more or less like an armpit. So we we often refer to it as the armpit of the horse. But it's that that indentation just behind the elbow. And we want to make sure the rings of the cinch are not in that area. So they come up above that area where there is actually um, good flesh And so that the movement of the leg and that elbow coming back as the horse walks and trots and canters is not rubbing or chafing on that D-ring. So we want to make sure the D-ring rises up high enough on both sides to not be in the armpit of the horse, but you want to be just above that because you need plenty of room between the top of your cinch and the bottom of your saddle D-ring. Uh, Hopefully that makes sense. So I would just suggest you take a tape measure and measure the distance from where you can eyeball where you want the ring of that cinch to be 
on one side. Just use a, a piece of baling string and measure it, and then use a tape measure to measure the baling string. But you can reach around underneath that horse and bring it up to the other side and measure it. You know, it's generally going to be 30, 32 inches, something like that, and uh, depending on the size of your horse. And um, and yeah, so that's that's really your only concern. Now, are some cinches better than other? Absolutely. Um, like all things in, in equipment, generally you get what you pay for. The better the cinch, the more expensive it is. I, I prefer either a wide mohair string girth. That's the only kind of string girth I would use is a mohair one that's well-made and um, pretty wide uh, between the legs. Or uh, I, I like a wool fleece, not, um, not the synthetic fleece. I hate that. Um, but a true wool fleece cinch uh is really great some people like neoprene i don't like neoprene i there's pros and cons there neoprene produces a lot of dirt and sweat on your horse and if that sweat is allowed to dry while your horse is still saddled um then sometimes you rip hair off when you rip the when you undo the girth so you have to watch out for that um it does generate a lot of heat in the horse but it's super easy to clean and I do think it's comfortable for the horse other than the heat. So um, there's pros and cons there. I would look at what's available to you if you're ordering internationally. Um, there's a lot of high quality cinches um, out there. So I, I would look for a wool fleece or um, now I will tell you this. On my personal horse, I use a very fancy Western cinch that has elastic built into it, much like you would see in a jumping girth or a uh, dressage girth. So it allows for expansion of the lungs and rib cage. And it, it allows me to not over tighten my horse too much. Uh, but those are, are uh, specialty items that are, are kind of difficult to get. Um, so yeah, size is the most important thing. And um, look around, get a high quality cinch. Uh, as long as it's not a really cheap, cheap, cheap thing, uh, it's probably going to serve you well. So good luck to that. And I look forward to seeing you in Ireland. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you're busy crafting your audacious goals for this year and that you're inspired to accomplish something that's important to you. And if you feel like sharing with me, I'd love to read your comments. If you have questions for What the Hay, or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please invite your equestrian friends to join us. If you like the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review it. That means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners find this podcast. And don't forget to check out my online memberships to my academy, which gives you access to hundreds of videos, full episodes of my TV show, audios, and articles on the topics you want to know more about. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. Or get online coaching from me with my Interactive Academy membership. I'll help you assess where you are with your horse now 
so you can move forward with a structured 12-month training plan and personalized coaching from me every step of the way. Just go to juliegoodnight.com slash join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings so that more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. <laughs>